Hello, and thank you for listening to this week's podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnais, Illinois. This is a sermon for September 29th, 2019. The sermon is entitled, Who is Like God? and is based on Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, and Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. It was preached by Associate Pastor Mike Hannell. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnais, Illinois. You can find this and other podcasts by going to stpaulslutheran.net and clicking the sermons button at the top of the page. Thank you for listening and God's blessings. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The question, who is like God, is potentially a very dangerous question. If you answer it wrong, you just might end up in hell. After all, that was the question behind Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve way back in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? He told them, if you eat from that tree, that tree that God has told you not to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. Right? Now, Satan was deceiving Adam and Eve, of course. He, he made it sound as though God was, was in a position that he could be removed from that position or overthrown or that somehow Adam and Eve could take God's place. But Satan's presence alone should be enough to testify that, that God cannot be overcome. God cannot be overthrown. It just doesn't work that way. But that question still lingers. Who is like God? It's a question that fascinates us even after the fall. How would you answer it? Who is like God? Maybe today, since we already introduced the topic of angels, you might be thinking, well, angels are an awful lot like God, aren't they? We don't see them just like we don't see God. Uh, They're spiritual beings, just like God. Uh, they, they don't seem to ever die. And they can do things that you and I can't do. They seem to have more power than we do. So, yeah, may, maybe angels are a lot like God. Well, in some ways that argument might work, but you'd have to overlook some other qualities and characteristics. Ultimately, angels are not like God in the sense that that they could replace God or overcome him. In the big picture, angels are creatures, part of God's creation. In that way, they're a lot like us. 
The reason why I ask that question, who is like God, is because it is a question that that gets us to thinking about angels, to thinking about other spiritual beings that exist. But right now, at the forefront, at the beginning, I do want you to know that in the end, who is like God, it's kind of a trick question. Because there is no one and nothing that ultimately is like God. God is like God and God alone. There, there is no equal to God. There is no replacing him. There is no overthrowing him. God stands in his position alone. And so when we talk about angels, we need to know that, that they are not like or equal unto God. Rather, angels serve a very different purpose. Angels are God's servants. And ultimately, what angels do is that they point us back to God. There's another reason, though, that I asked that question. Who is like God? The reason is because as we're hearing about Michael, the great archangel in our readings today, His name forces us to ask that question. Although you may not know it, the name Michael consists of three Hebrew words. Michael is essentially a Hebrew phrase, a sentence that translates as this. Who is like God? Question mark. And it's important to know that it is a question. Who is like God? See, in English, it's a little bit confusing. Here's your English lesson of the day. In English, we have one word, who, that is both a relative pronoun and what? An interrogative, I I saw some of you starting, an interrogative pronoun. It can either mean the one who is like so-and-so, that's the relative pronoun, or it can mean question, who is the one? In Hebrew, they have two different words for who. This word is the question word, the interrogative word. The reason why that's important is because if you understood it to be the other, you might think that the angel Michael means one who is like God. That is, he's God's apprentice. Or that one day he will take over when God retires. But that is not what the name Michael means. Instead, Michael, who is like God, question mark. Ask that question that we said really has no answer. The answer, who is like God, is no one. God himself is alone like God. In other words, the name Michael is an invitation to confess God's great might and power and authority, that God is God over all and there is no other. The reason why that's especially important to keep in mind with Michael is that Michael is also given titles in the Bible, words like great prince or archangel. And that leads us to think that that Michael is really, really special and really important. And while that's true, where does all the power and authority that Michael has come from? It's not his. It came from God. God gives him that power and authority. 
See, in the end, Michael, an angel, even an archangel, is a creature of God, just like we are creatures of God. Different from us, yes, because he is an angel, a spiritual being, and we are humans. That's the big picture. I know you have a lot of other questions about angels, and I have questions about angels too, but the big picture, the big thing that you need to know is that this is who Michael is. This is who all angels are. They are creatures, servants of God, spiritual beings whose primary purpose is to point us to God. If you know that, then when we go to the reading from Revelation, yes, you'll still have questions. I still have questions. We may not get all of those answers, but it really helps you to understand what's going on in that reading. Now, Revelation 12, we only read a small portion of it. There's more going on there in that reading if you open up your Bibles later today and check it out. Essentially, there are three scenes in Revelation 12. The first scene is that John is given this vision of the spiritual significance of Jesus' incarnation. That happens before our reading. Then in our reading, we have the second scene, that there is this war that is in heaven that is waging between Satan and his angels and Michael and all of God's angels. In the third part, we get a little bit of it in our reading today, but it goes on. Satan is thrown out of heaven to earth where he will prowl, there it is, like a roaring lion against Christians, against believers in Jesus like you and me. So there are those three parts to that reading from Revelation 12 and the greater context. Going back to the first scene now quickly. We're to imagine a time that Satan has access to heaven. If you were here uh, during our season of Lent in our midweek services, we we talked about this. It's there in the book of Job. We're we're to imagine this time when, when Satan has access to heaven. And what does he do there? He accuses all of those who have faith in Jesus, in God. He accuses the faithful before God and says, God, they're not so great. Look at all of their sins. Look at their unfaithfulness. Look at their wickedness. They don't belong to you. They should be part of my world and my authority. Now, from this perspective that Satan has as access to heaven, Satan sees Jesus' incarnation his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And yet, from that perspective, Satan can do nothing to stop Jesus from accomplishing what it is that Jesus sets out to do. So there in the first scene, we already basically have everything we need to know. Jesus is the all-powerful one. Jesus is the one who overcomes Satan. Satan has no power against Jesus. The second scene is different, though. The second scene gives us this war that is waging in heaven between Satan and the fallen angels and Michael and the angels of God. Now, 
because Michael is an angel, again, we know that angels have great power, power that exceeds our own. But Satan is also an angel, a fallen angel, a spiritual being that also has power. You know some of Satan's powers. You know that Satan has the power to destroy us, to at least harm us in our bodies, that is. Satan can bring sickness, illness. He can even bring death upon us. But Satan has limits. And the limit of Satan, Satan's power is seen in this. Satan cannot destroy your soul. But what does he do? He tries to entice you. He tries to lead you away from your faith in Jesus. And in that way, will try to bring destruction upon your soul. So, when it comes to Satan's spiritual power over us, we might say that it's not so much that he has brute force power against us, but rather his power lies in his deceptions, in his lies, and in his temptations. But back to that war in heaven. Satan and Michael are at war against one another. They're both spiritual beings, so what can they do to one another? In the end, it's kind of like a stalemate. Neither the one side nor the other gains an upper hand. Instead, the war just sort of prolongs. But then it changes, doesn't it? It changes, and Michael ends up being victorious. So what happens to to give Michael the upper hand? Does he go back home and eat some of his spinach? Does he go and find a bigger sword to beat Satan back? No. See, here's where it's easy to start to think that that Michael is the all-powerful one, and this reading is all about Michael and his great power as this archangel. When that isn't at all what it's about. You hear it in the reading. You hear what causes the change. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Everything changes because of the Lamb, because of Jesus. Everything in that war changes because Jesus has come and Jesus has died and Jesus rose again on the third day. And the reason why Jesus dies is because he takes on himself our sins. And as Jesus takes on our sins, we then have forgiveness for our sins by our faith in him. And because we have the forgiveness of our sins, Satan's power in heaven goes away. That name, Satan, it really just means the accuser. And when you and I are forgiven of all of our sins, Satan no longer has any accusation power against us. He can say of us, well, look at what they did. Look at what they said. Look at what they did not do. But those accusations don't stick because Jesus died. 
He died for sinners. He died for you and for me. And so we are forgiven. That's what changes in that great war. That's what gives Michael the upper hand. It's not that Michael all of a sudden got stronger. It's that Michael now had that victory, that word of victory. Jesus has won. And Michael can proclaim that word to Satan. Satan, you heard what Jesus said from the cross. It is finished. And it is. Satan, you are done. You no longer have any power or authority here in this place. Be gone. In other words, Michael's great power comes when he is made a participant in Jesus' victory. The third part of the story seems a little anticlimactic after that, but that's the part of the story that we know. For after Michael is victorious because of the blood of the Lamb, Satan is, is condemned. He's no longer in heaven. Instead, he prowls here on earth. And as I said, what does he do? He attacks Christians. You and I, we are Satan's targets. That's bad news for us, but there's also good news. The good news is we know that Satan's power is limited. We know that Jesus is victorious. We know that Satan's days are numbered. And God assures us that there is nothing Nothing that can separate us from his love in Christ Jesus. Not Satan, not any of his powers, not any of his lies. And what is more, God gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit in our baptism to assure us that we are his, that nothing can harm us. But that's not all. God also commands his angels to guard us to watch over us, to protect us. Even though we may not be able to see this or perceive this, this is what God does because he loves us. And God's angels are all too willing to do this. Why? Because they're servants of God. Because they delight in doing God's will. And what is more, they've seen how God loves us. They've seen how much Jesus loves us because he was willing to lay down his life for us even though we were sinners. And because God loves us, God's angels love us too. Who is like God? That's what the name Michael asks us to consider this day. And we know that angels are just servants of God. And Michael is not some great conqueror. He's merely the enforcer. Somebody who reminds us that yes, angels are spiritual beings. Yes, they do have great power. But they are not an object of our worship. Instead, all of God's angels point us back to God. They don't ask to be worshipped. Instead, they ask to join in worship with us. Because together, 
people, angels, and archangels. We all only worship God. We all only worship Jesus, the Lamb who was slain and rose again in victory to bring us into his kingdom forever. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and victorious Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnais, Illinois. You can find this and other podcasts by going to stpaulslutheran.net and clicking the sermons button at the top of the page. Thank you for listening and God's blessings.